to the Paint, Rest, Repeat podcast with Roz Gervais and Laura Day, where we chat about our creative lives as artists while keeping it real and a little bit messy. We're here to inspire creatives just like you to push past those boundaries and make art that you love. Let's dive in. everybody. Hi, Laura. How are you? Hi, Rose. How are you going? I'm very excited for our topic today because we're going to be talking about barriers to making art. No, it's not really that, is it, Laura? It's not barriers to making money, but we were talking about the whole starving artist concept and how to make an income for your art. Well, that is the barrier, isn't it? This whole starving artist. Yeah, making income as an artist. So we're going to start by talking about Jeff Goins, who wrote, what's the actual, what's the proper title of his book? Do you remember? Real Artists Don't Starve. That's the one. So so we were going to start by talking about him and the different models he talks about, like the different ways of being an artist. Do you want to start? Because I have read maybe two thirds of his book, but it was a while ago now. So there's a chapter and it says, yes, you must make money to make art. So There's no way around it. There needs to be some sort of income generated to make your art, be an artist and put art out into the world. We all know art supplies cost money. So yeah, there's no avoiding that. I think where people get hung up is in that the concept of the starving artist, we have to suffer for our art. So he talks about three ways that you can get paid for the art that you create. So the first one is make commercial art. So art is a commodity, art is a product, and we sell it to the market. And there's various ways to do that. And Roz and I are going to dig into that because we had a fairly extensive like chat. We should add here that if you would like to uh, take notes, you may want to, or if you're listening in the car or something like that, you can tune in again later to take some notes because there's some seriously useful content in this episode. Like, yeah, there's some nuggets left, right and center. I feel like this is a really meaty episode because we did do a fair bit of pre-planning and looking into different structures and things like that. We got all intense. We got all ADHD hyper-focus. It was really fun. I actually really liked that planning part. (laughs) All right, so going back, three ways to get paid for the art that you create. So we've got commercial art. So making your original painting, a beautiful painting and selling it to the market. You've also got a traditional artist patronage model. So a wealthy benefactor, is willing to pay for your livelihood and expenses and allows you to create the art and just be a genius and be the creative genius that you are. Which is code for marry well. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) Or make friends with like rich people. So we're saying like, that's very rare. Like that opportunity is very, very rare. And you can't really rely on this magical, mythical rich benefactor to come in and save the day and, you know, you just immerse in your creative practice. Although I also need to drop in that if you do find one, (laughs) I'm happy to provide my details. (laughs) (laughs) And then the third concept is around self-patronage. So finding a way to fund your art practice by getting a second job and using that as the income to help you to create your art. 
So it can be an art-related or a non-art-related part-time job, but you're making extra money to channel into your practice. And basically then your employer becomes your patron. They might not know it. They may not have that little title underneath their name on their email, um, but that's the model. Yeah. And you can create your own job. There can be something in your art business that is that patron or your concept is the the workhorse and the unicorn, like that sort of. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So we need to dive into all of these. So I hope everyone's like really tuned in. So do you want to just quickly explain what the unicorn and workhorse is and then I'll go back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the workhorse and unicorn is an awesome concept that I came across um, by my um, through my business coach, Robin Soreen. Feel free to go and give her a follow. The workhorse and the unicorn is a description of, I guess, what is it? Is it like a small business? A passion project. Passion project. Well, I think it's more, well, the passion project is the unicorn, right? And the workhorse is part of your business that you still enjoy and it brings in the money basically. So that is like the benefactor, that patron part of the model. Mm, And it's your biggest income stream. Yeah. And it just sort of relieves the pressure, pays the bills, and it allows you to grow and expand as an artist. And for me, for example, that's like my art program for the kids. That's like my NDIS work. I love both of them, but they are my workhorses. And then my unicorn projects are my art in galleries and any of my own art. That's a unicorn project. And that's, I would love that to grow. I want that to grow. It will grow, but I'm not putting that pressure on it or that expectation. And that actually allows my creativity to flow better anyway. It gives better energy to my art. Yeah. And so I'm assuming a lot of our listeners would probably be exploring that self-patronage model. And then in a side note in the book, he talks about the fourth solution, which isn't really a solution. And it's where the artist chooses poverty and creates from that struggle. And that's where that starving artist mentality comes in. And I feel like, you know, that can be quite toxic and I don't know, it can stifle people because They feel like they want to just break all ties, not give up their nine to five job. Not comply. Yep. (laughs) Not comply. At all. (laughs) Go and live as an artist. And like, you know, it's not really, you're not going to get far, I think, in that. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? I am envisaging, you know, people who do that. And it's like this purest way of living. But I don't know if it's actually happy. Like it sounds romantic. But I don't know if the reality would be not being able to put food on your table. And I just, I don't know, that would be highly stressful. I wouldn't be creative, just saying. I don't think I could be creative if my basic needs weren't being met, basically. Yeah, I guess, you know, you're sort of creating barriers for yourself and your art practice because it is a struggle to live. Yeah, and also you're wanting to do, is this whole all or nothing approach as well, like you're wanting to do it properly. Like you're going to be a proper artist. You're going to be a hardcore artist or you're not going to do it at all. The other thing that comes into this, and obviously Laura and I did a lot of planning for this. So we've talked about this before, but is whether you think, whether you're like me and have this ingrained belief or what is it? This might be the wrong word, but belief that commercial art is like dirty art. So I sell my art. So so my art is commercial. So don't get me wrong. But because of certain parts of my upbringing, I, there's almost that, you know, the purism, that elitism, 
part of art is really sort of been promoted to me, I suppose. So yeah, you've got to be, if you're going to be in the art world, either you do it just for the art or you do it for a high-end fine art gallery and that's it. They're your options. Yeah, that's that the art school baggage, I think, you know, and it's that sort of fine art realm. But we've got so many commercial opportunities these days and we need to take advantage of like the technology advances. And that's another thing that Jeff Goins sort of mentions in the book. It's because we've got so many modern advances and ways that we're able to get our art out into the world. And you need to pay respect to the artists that have paved the way beforehand because we've got so many opportunities. And we don't have to be like poor old Van Gogh, who I'm pretty sure he didn't sell a single piece, or maybe it was just one piece, if I remember rightly, whilst he was alive. We don't have to do that. The world has changed and we have all of, like you're saying, all of these benefits and benefits, all these options available to us. If we can release that struggling artist thing and any sort of elitism you might have because of your upbringing or background or training. The world is your lobster is one of my favorite. <laughs> your lobster. <laughs> <laughs> my husband's like, nobody gets your joke, Ros. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Hi guys, it's Ros here. I'm just interrupting this episode to let you know about my Art for the Heart membership, a beautiful community for gorgeous creatives of all abilities. Art for the Heart is designed to reconnect you with yourself through art. It will have you developing your skills, confidence, and self-belief too. If you haven't picked up a paintbrush since school, or perhaps you have painted more recently and would like to upskill and connect with other creatives, Art for the Heart is for you. Head on over to www.permissiontopaint.co-afh to find out more. So we've actually dived into all those opportunities and all of those ways that we can shape ourselves as artists and generate income. And so, yeah, we have really dug into different artists' business models, like people that um, are operating in the world, contemporary artists, and the different avenues that their business can take. So we've got our fine art gallery purists, model that can be considered a commercial model. So it is an artist that dedicates to their craft, creating original artworks, and that's their main focus. And that is the product, like that is the commercial aspect. You're exchanging money for that beautiful artwork. It's high end in like galleries. So there are, you know, fine art galleries or commercial galleries, and they've got a collector base. And you can be exclusively represented by that gallery. And I mean, you can chase those opportunities and that can be quite successful for some artists, but it also can be quite intimidating to chase that model. Yeah. So if that was one of our listeners' directions, there's nothing wrong with any of these options. They're all excellent options. It's knowing where you want to go and also knowing that that decision can change throughout the process, but having a bit of a plan and a bit of a direction is really good. And then what's the word? Planning out that journey. So if you're heading to a fine art gallery and you're wanting to do that, you're trying to get into that traditional space, you might hold on to your day job, for example, for a longer amount of time so that you can buy all your art supplies that you need so that you can produce the art so that you can present it to these fine art galleries, you know, until you're picked up and somebody says yes to representing you. So it's planning that journey out, I think. 
Yeah, being clear on what you want. And for some people, that can be a huge achievement to get that recognition from that fine art world. Yeah, it is. I don't know anyone who wouldn't feel like that's an achievement. But yeah, when I went to art school, like I feel like that was the only option, but we've actually dug into so many more options for artists out there. Like I said, there is so many opportunities for us these days. And you're old, Laura, so... (laughs) (laughs) I know, I do feel like a little bit of a dinosaur because I went to art school so long ago. But (laughs) I wonder if the world has changed now, though, you know? I wonder if, like, kids coming out of art school these days, like, I wonder if they are covering all of these aspects. They must be talking about bleeping NFTs. What, is that even the word? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm scared of them. They make me allergic. I get a rash. (laughs) Oh, NFTs weren't even on our list as a business model, but anyways. Oh, well, that's a good point. I'll just note that one down. (laughs) I'm an expert. Let's do an episode. Just joking. Okay. So we've got the fine art purist model and high-end galleries. Amazing. It could be something that you're really excited to pursue. There's also a retail gallery model. Mm -hmm. And that's with galleries like Jumbled, for example, or Fenton and Fenton, Art to Art, Greenhouse as well. Is it called Greenhouse Galleries? Interiors, yeah. Greenhouse Interiors as well. And these galleries, either you can get amongst them by entering any prizes that they run and then they get to have their eyes on your work or you can just call them, email them, put your work forward and see what happens as well. So there's a few ways to try to get into those spaces and they do take a commission. And this is typically, typically with these sorts of galleries, you're not represented by them. I learned this only recently. You show your work with them. And that means that you can show your work with multiple galleries, not just the one. Whereas representation by a fine art gallery, for example, that's more around your sort of, what's the word, owned? There's exclusivity with that. So some of the retail galleries do have some exclusivity contracts in the contracts. So you need to look into that. But yeah, that is an option to have your art in galleries like that too. They've got lists of buyers and they've got the networks and all the promotional tools and they organize trade fairs and they work really hard for their artists to get exposure. Totally. And this is a thing, you know, I'm with a couple of galleries at the moment But I think first and foremost about art to art with the curator there, she's just such a beautiful human. She can have my commission. You know, I'm so happy to support other people in my art space. So the commission concept doesn't have to be such a negative thing. It's part of, you know, you pay for the service that they offer, essentially. I was going to say with this as well, it's also important not to get that. It's sort of like shiny object syndrome or, you know, when you don't have your proper blinkers on. And you see another artist that you really like and they've been picked up by Fenton and Fenton and you're like, oh, I'm going to go for Fenton and Fenton. I want to be in Fenton and Fenton. But actually you need, instead of looking outside, you've got to look inside and look for a direction that is aligned with what you want. And that's really hard to do. So I think this episode is really good for people to look at the over, like the, what's the word? The options and the structures, like what opportunities other people have created for themselves. Yeah, and to look at it broadly and then sort of feel out which direction is best for them as an individual artist, you know? So if you're in a gallery, fine art gallery, retail gallery, commercial gallery, whatever it looks like, they will have high expectations of you. You will be expected to have high quality output. 
and volume as well because they don't want empty walls. They need volume. This is my problem (laughs) personally as well because I'm working on painting faster um, and fitting in more painting time. As you talk about these high expectations and this need for volume, your relationship with these galleries, you're represent, oh, you're not actually representing yourself, but you're representing yourself. So if you're promising that you're going to get art by to them by a certain time, you have to do that. It's your name that's on the line sort of thing. And your name carries forward with you. So you have to take it quite seriously. Yeah. Then should we move on to the role of the independent artist? Yep, go for it. And self-represented artist? Yep, I'll stop yapping. So, <laughs> no, it's good. I think digging into the, this topic is going to give like lots of different perspectives and ideas to the listeners. So we've got, you know, people that have a shop or a gallery presence, artists that have been practising for a really long time and they have great exposure, you know, got a following base. So we sort of thought of like Bromley and uh, Ken Doan, they have their own retail shops and galleries. They're self-represented. They create products around their art and they create originals as well. So everything comes from the art, comes from the craft, and then there are additional products. So Bromley creates chairs and tables and all sorts of sculptures and, you know, there's there is sort of a commercial retail aspect as well. You know, you could do linens and T-shirts and all sorts of things. So we did think those artists came to mind when we're thinking of an independent artist that has like a retail avenue for themselves. I'm pretty sure. So Bromley and Ken Doan, they have actual shops, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So then there's also, there's another more more modern, that's a bit mean, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bromley and Kendo. There's another artist um, named Grotty Lottie. I think her name is actually Casey Manson and she's lovely. And she's like a smaller scale version of that. So she has her own mini store in her area. She has markets as well. She's entirely self-represented. She does her own stuff. Her art is based on her originals. And then she take, turns those into products like calendars, for example, and prints, et cetera. So, you know, while we're talking about big names like Kendo and Bromley, there are versions of it that are open to people like you and I. Yeah. Starts with the small steps and it starts with making a decision of like where you're actually going and what sort of artist you want to be. So we've also got like as an independent artist, we've also got the online avenue. So not in galleries, they're self-represented. They might not have a retail physical outlet, but they focus on online sales and they also create products based around their art. So a couple of artists that we had in mind was Talia Stanton and Tiff Manuel, which you only just turned me on to Tiff Manuel and what she does. And it's actually really cool. I had a little look at her website when we were researching for this episode. So it all starts with the originals. They got their original paintings. Then Talia creates prints and tapestries from her art as well. And Tiff does hand-printed products and bridal stuff. Yeah. So I'm not sure it's hand-printed, but she does the original painting and she actually pays people as well, I believe, to paint for her. So she outsources that bit. And then I believe with the canvases, 
she must sell some of them as originals, but others she actually cuts up and she turns them into products. So like purses and little wallets and card holders and things like that. I believe she also collaborates with fashion designers. I don't know if it's just one or if it's a range. And she has her art on uh, on gowns and skirts and bridal wear, and it's pretty amazing. And I wish I heard of her um, before I got married to say. So they'd be commissions, like that would be classed as a commission. Would it, or is it a collaboration? I don't know. It's whether she does it for an individual, right, versus like releasing a range of dresses with her art on it. Yeah. And so, yeah, these artists have established themselves in the online space. Yeah, they've built up their reputation. And then, yeah, they've got people working for them, which is really cool and potentially something to aspire to if that business model feels right for you. Yeah, well, that's their whole supply versus demand thing. Like, you know, when you price your art initially and then you get so many orders in, that's the point, for example, where you should be increasing your prices to control the demand. So another way would be instead of increasing your prices, employ some people to paint for you (laughs) and then you can get more artwork out. So I don't know, interesting idea. Yeah. And then we were talking about the hybrid model. So self-represented, self-patronage, having a job to fund their practice. Yeah. So it might be a regular job to fund it, or it could be an art-related income source or income stream, revenue stream. And I feel like we're both in that space, aren't we? Yeah, because we do the teaching and the mentoring and then we have our own art as well. So it's the double up. And some of the other artists that we've had on this podcast, did you want to mention them, Ross? Yeah, yeah, sorry. I was trying. I realised that earlier I did a massive big spiel. (laughs) I'm like, give Laura room to speak. Okay, so (laughs) we had, (laughs) I'm a hyper, I'm oversensitive today. I'm very too aware. Okay, so Susan Nethercote we had in a previous episode and she has her original artwork. She also makes prints, she does commissions and she also teaches through her online courses. Then we have Ange Miller who I believe her episode goes live before this one so you should have listened to it already. If you're a loyal and true podcast listener, (laughs) if you want to be a loyal and true podcast listener and you haven't listened yet, make sure you go and check that out. And Ange does her originals and I believe she does self-embellished prints. Is that what it's called? So she has fine um, fine art prints made of her work and then hand paints little bits sort of turned into semi-originals. And then she also teaches. She has a membership and online courses and in-person workshops as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Morgan Jamison, she does the originals, murals, and she's represented... Was it Greenhouse Interiors or? Yeah, and maybe Jumbled as well. Yeah. So she's in the retail space, the galleries, the retail galleries, and art through her own website as well. Yeah. And then Rach Jackson, who we're hoping to interview soon. She has her originals. She's been doing murals lately. She also um, does some licensing and she's licensed recently with Maxwell and Williams. So that's also another version of a hybrid model. The point here really is there are a whole lot of avenues available to you. And if you pay attention to other artists that you admire, and we're not talking about admiring their actual artworks, but we're talking about admiring the way they run their art business and how they present themselves, you might sort of spot some artists that, you know, have that business model that really works for you or would work for future you that you can work towards. Yeah. 
So yeah, like if we're looking at all the opportunities to have a workhorse in our business and do the self-patronage model and generate like a nice chunk of income that covers your living expenses plus some to invest into your art practice. Teaching, you might not you might not want to be a teacher though. If you're not that way, that's got to be quite internal. Yeah. Like we love teaching, like that's just ingrained within both of us. So that is a really good, sustainable source of income that we can use to propel our businesses forward. And that teaching can be in person or online. We've got the artists that focus on commissions and murals. For me, a mural business model is just not going to work. I have a chronic illness. I don't want to be out in the sunshine slaving away at a mural. But some people just love those sorts of opportunities. And it really is an amazing public way to get their work out there. And they can get really good money from doing the big murals in cafes and hotels and commissions from councils or like big projects. Like that could be an avenue that you chase. Definitely. Well, I've been having a little bit of a look at it because you know how I did recently, I painted a piano for my local council. That sort of felt a bit muralish. And I was sort of thinking, maybe I wonder if that's something that I could explore. But like you're saying, you have to work out if that fits in with your lifestyle. I've got two young kids, like I couldn't exactly be painting on weekends. I'd have to do it still within workouts, things like that. Yeah. Whether it fits for you and whether it's aligned as well. Yeah. With what you want to do. Yeah. Yep. And the markets and the trade shows, like for me in the past, I've done markets before, but I just feel like they are so much work. But some people find like a lot of success. They love talking to people. They love like being out there in the public and, you know, sharing their art with the world. There is the bigger trade fairs and the the art-based trade shows. So that could be a really good opportunity. And there is like sort of a regular crew that like does the design markets. And that is rather than having that shop or gallery, and paying those overheads and having that physical space. Ongoing. Ongoing, yeah. That some people are in that market rounds or, you know, there's regular events happening all of the time. Yeah, it makes me think of the other art fair, which I intend on being, by the way, accountability right now next year. So instead of having your own shop that you pay rent for, like you're saying, weekly, you can just choose whether you're going to be in the fair for September twenty three or whatever it is. And then you commit that amount of money just for that particular store. Sometimes it's a bit easier financially, I think, on an art business. Yeah. And another one that comes to mind is the Finders Keepers. That's another one that is sort of a recurring event that, you know, there's regular people that showcase their work. It can be a bit of a higher ticket price, higher, you know, than your regular, like average sort of local design markets and things like that. But you know, that could be because you're using their marketing as well. Like that could be something that is an ongoing thing and a wet avenue for you to sell. If you need, if you feel like you're people person and you like that in-person sales and getting to know your customers and being the face of your brand and your art, that might work better for you than say the online stuff. Like if there is a barrier with the tech you might need to rely on other avenues such as a gallery and, you know, people are selling for you or doing it yourself and selling at markets or trade shows or places like that. 
Yeah, definitely. I was having a chat with artist Claire Devine recently, and she was saying when she does markets, she has no expectations to sell anything whatsoever. So she puts it all under the, her marketing budget. And she's all about just talking to the people, making the connections, spruiking for the art industry, you know, like building up the, you know, the name and the positive vibes around art and capturing email addresses. And that's it. That's her goal for a market. So it's interesting they can, whilst hopefully they're a source of income, they have other benefits too. Yeah. Yeah. Tapping into that network, aren't you? Because you can talk to other vendors and, you know, sort of create those networks as well. And then, you know, you're in the know, you find out different opportunities, like figure out what they've done in their art business and what's worked well for them. Or you could use it as a marketing avenue. And I'm imagining then she has an online presence. And then that's where the bulk of the sales and income comes from. There is the, talking about online, there is the online marketplaces. So Blue Thumb and Art Lovers Australia and Etsy for our international listeners and Saatchi Art. That was the other international one. Yeah, that's UK based. And I'm not sure actually if or there must be it's a United States version of this or Canada. If you're a listener from the US or Canada, shoot us a little DM and let us know what the platform, what the main sort of art marketplace platform is in your country. That'd be really interesting to know. Yeah, I mean, we're talking from our experience as artists like practicing in Australia. So we're sort of giving those recommendations or just an overview of, yeah, the different ways that you can structure your business and sell your work. And as we list these things, before my brain forgets, I wanted to mention episode 21, where we talk about ideas to help you make more money from your art. So we touch on some of these topics in that episode as well. So if you want to tune in and get a little bit more info from us uh, on how I believe we mainly talk about how we make income from our art, maybe there's some other ideas in there too. So yeah, definitely go and check that one out as well. Yeah. Do you feel like you have anything else to add in terms of like business models and structures and, you know, figuring out like what sort of artist you want to be and where you want to be placed in the market to sell your work? No, other than just wanting to reiterate that you really need to tune in to yourself instead. So like get this knowledge and look at the overarching plan and the different options for how you can run your business and then choose a direction to go in that feels aligned for you and give it a shot. You know what I mean? Like give it a go. You can change your plan, but if you can stick it out for a while and determine like, is this the right fit for you? I think that's a really good way to go about it. Yeah. I think we were also saying that commercial art or making commercial art isn't like selling out or isn't like a dirty word. Yeah. That whole. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's okay. Like if you find a style that is like very commercial and people are lapping it up and you're making money from it. Don't feel guilty about that. You know, like as long as you're enjoying it and it is like that can be your workhorse. Like if you're making money from that, then you can explore other avenues and test your creativity and test different products and things like that. Like you can expand creatively in other ways, but yeah, finding that workhorse and that thing that is going to help sustain you as an artist, implementing that, especially when you're starting out, like having that focus and implementing that and really dedicating to that and making sure you've got that foundation. I think that's really important for, you know, new artists or 
people just coming into this world. You know what this makes me think of? The fear of success. You know how we always talk about the fear of failure? Like not you and I specifically, (laughs) but people usually often talk about the fear of failure. Like if I put out my art and it doesn't sell, then what do I do? But there's also the fear of success. So the fear of coming across its style of art that you've painted and people actually want it and then you've got to sell it. And then it's just like, what does life look like then if I'm not in struggle town because I'm used to being in struggle town? So it's just, yeah, mindset, mindset stuff. Yeah. Well, it's just becoming a different version, isn't it? And like settling into that new level as well. Being open to change. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll just open a can of worms right at the end of an episode, (laughs) shall we? Uh, We'd love to know if there was any points in this episode that you really found interesting. Take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram. We'd really appreciate you sharing the love and appreciation for this podcast and what we're doing. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and we're also on YouTube. So you can see our pretty faces if you'd like to watch a video of us. And see our studios. How's that? Yeah, that too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're watching right now on YouTube, hello. (laughs) No, yes. It blows my mind. Like, who are we talking to? (laughs) Write us a comment. We'd love to hear how you're finding the podcast and send us a DM. So if you've got any ideas for future episodes or if you'd like to for us to dig into any specific topics further, we would love to know. And yeah. Yay. Oh, hang on. We also, didn't we work out that this episode's going live on January the 4th? Oh, is it? Yes. We're in the new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. <laughs> we're, we're, we're coming from the past, but happy new year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we hope you're feeling all right on this January the 4th and that you have some exciting plans then for the future and that this episode helps you to you get visualize what's coming next for you. And yeah, we're scattering that positivity everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, guys. Thanks for listening. And we will be back. Um, and make sure you catch our back episodes if you haven't already. That's all. Lots of love. Bye. Bye. <laughs>